You're listening to Women Transcend. I'm Jennifer Todd, and this is a podcast that explores issues that affect women and girls worldwide. Each episode, we dive into a topic and discuss the particular impact on women and girls and how they are able to overcome or transcend. Welcome, friends. If you are a friend of the pod, we are glad you have come back for a listen. If you're new to our show, welcome, and we're glad that you have found us. We hope you enjoy what we bring to you every week and find it useful and relevant. The topic that we're talking about today relates to parenting, but hopefully, whether you're a parent or not, you will find it useful information and relevant to your life and to the lives of people that you care about. So when you become a new parent, your life becomes fraught with anxiety. And I am going to ask my co-host, John, to join me for this conversation. John, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? Great. So going back to those days when we were planning for the arrival of a new baby. Yeah. It seemed like, you know, we we bought all the books, yes. what to expect when you're expecting. Yes. You know, we loaded our house with baby proof everything, yeah. bubble wrapped everything under the sun, you know, and we hit all the knives and uh, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because you don't know who you're going to get. Are you going to get a little beast or yes, yeah, that's a, a true. sweet one? <laughs> Can't be too careful. But there's so much information in mass media and in research as well that sends all kinds of messages, you know, warning Will Robinson. Yeah. And I just stated myself, if you, if you don't know. Um... Google it. Those of <laughs> yeah. you who don't know it, look it up. But... You worry about everything and you spend hours Googling, you know, baby food. Yeah. And uh, what do I feed my child? Sure. And weaning and diapers and, you know, cloth versus disposable yeah. and the minutiae that you worry about and you research. And there is a lot of information available. Yeah. And so much of it, it seems like, is really designed to be more clickbait than it is to really inform. Yeah. A lot of it seems like it's attached to a product, but you don't know at first. And yeah. this is true for, you know, not just related to babies, but we really, when we consume information on the internet, we really have to be critical of the source because, like you say, a, a lot of times it's just clickbait and you you think, oh, this article sounds important. You know, yeah. uh, 10 things that may kill you in your sleep tonight. <laughs> yes. You're thinking, well, your I, baby. I don't want to die in my sleep. Right. Yes, and I don't want my baby to die yeah. in his or her sleep. Yeah. So you, you go to the article and you read and then all of a sudden, ads start popping up. Yeah. And they're related. Keep your child safe with this product. Yeah. And before you know it, you're like ordering all this stuff. But my point is, we're bombarded with lots of information. And it's hard to sort through what's good and what's junk. Right. Because these people who are writing the junk have a vested interest in 
hiding that. Exactly. You know, yeah. and they've gotten really good at it. Yeah, honestly, I think media, and by that I mean, you know, um, news sources, to a varying degree, play a role as well because they're looking for the sexy news story that will, you know, ten ways that you could die in your sleep. Yeah. More information at eleven. That kind of thing. They well, they take a legitimate research study. And they kind of twist the facts or, yeah. you know, they, they frame it in a way that it's shocking. Or sort of overinterpret it so that it sounds more definitive and more like this causes that. And when you really, if you look at the research, it, it may not say that. Yeah. And so we're having this conversation to frame a more focused conversation. First of all, educating ourselves on how to provide information on sexuality, sex education to our children, and how to help them find information, usually on the web or whatever source you're using, how to find good information that they may find helpful or useful. Yeah, You know, this is a, a very sensitive topic for a lot of people. And some people are more comfortable than others in having this discussion with their children. But because of the sensitive nature, this is one that as a parent, you really want to get right. Yeah. If you're not the parent, but you're, you know, the auntie or the cousin or the godparent or, you know, related to a child... You may have a role in educating that child about sex as well. Yeah. So, again, this isn't just for parents. Everyone around that child, and a couple of weeks ago we talked about It Takes a Village, our episode on raising a girl in a patriarchy. We talked about, you know, needing to have a network around a child for them to have a nurturing environment within which to grow. Whether you're the parent who is grappling with how best to approach this topic with the child, or if you are someone in that child's village, you should think about and understand these ideas and how best to handle them because it's important for children to be supported and to be surrounded by supportive caretakers. So our guest today will be talking about an article that I read on her blog and found very enlightening. And she touches on this very issue of sex education and you don't want your child to just have one source. And parents assume that they are that one source, but we know that that isn't true. Kids are curious and they have access to all kinds of digital devices. So if you think that you are that one source, you're not. So in my interview today with Stephanie Loomis Pappas, who is a prolific blog writer, she wrote a really amazing article, Be a Trusted Source, But Not the Only Source, What Parents Can Learn from the Controversy Over Teen Vogue's Recent Sex Advice. And we'll get into that Teen Vogue article but what she's saying is you should be a trusted source for your child for all matters. And sexuality is one of those. But you shouldn't be the only source. 
And you should be open to helping your child find good information and not just with regard to sexuality, but with everything. And she has some thoughts on how to introduce different ways for your child to become kind of a critical consumer. Yeah, a critical consumer of information and how you can start practicing that with your children. And then when they get to the age where they start being curious about things, they will start looking to good sources. And they won't rely just on their peers because you can be pretty much guaranteed that that's going to be bad information. Yeah. I mean, I just can only imagine. (laughs) From teaching sex education at the undergraduate level, I can imagine because... So many questions about toilet seats, it seems like, come up. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes, right? Is there there anything toilet seats can't do? (laughs) And some of the questions I've gotten, and these are from, you know, adults. I think, how did you make it (laughs) to this age? And really, you're asking me that question? What? So we want to arm our young adults with the ability to critically analyze information. And that will help them when they hear a whole load of foolishness from their peers. They will know that doesn't sound right to me. I think I'm going to look in the literature for that, or I'm going to go to this trusted source that I have been reading for years and see what that trusted source says. Yeah. So stay tuned for my interview with Stephanie Loomis Pappas. She's amazing. And I think that you will find this a really helpful way to think about assisting your child or assisting children who you are close to, whom you are a caretaker of, and finding their way through this cacophony of bad information and to help them find good sources and for you yourself to be a trusted source. So coming up next is my interview with Stephanie Loomis Pappas. So, John. Yes. Ask me about my new earbuds. Hey, Jenny, what about those new earbuds you're wearing? (laughs) I have got the most amazing new earbuds from Studio Sweden Sound Design. Ah. I can't say enough about these great earbuds. I can tell you right off, they look good. (laughs) Do they sound as good as they look? They do. And as you know, I'm kind of picky. Your words, not mine. Well, okay, I'm owning it. I don't like big headphones. I like in-the-ear buds, but I have trouble finding ones that are comfortable. Studio Sweden earbuds are comfortable. They have great sound. They do a great job of blocking out external noise. Yeah. And pull up their website, Studio Sweden, it's S-U-D-I-O, and check out their full line of different kinds of headphones. If you make a purchase using promo code WOMENTRANSCEND15, you will get 15% off of your purchase. In the month of October, Studio will donate 10% of their profits on all of their products to the Pink Ribbon Foundation. So if you are in the market, I can't recommend enough 
Studio Sweden sound design and use promo code Women Transcend 15. Coming up next is my interview with Stephanie Loomis Pappas. Stephanie is a professor turned stay-at-home parent who focuses on teaching people how to research and critically evaluate information on parenting. Stay tuned. Welcome to Women Transcend Stephanie. Oh, hi, and thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I'm anxious to talk with you about your recent article that appeared in Huffington Post and also on your blog, Snack Dinner, which I just love that title. Um, that, that just encapsulates being a mom to me. Um, <laughs> but the article was entitled, Be a Trusted Source, but not the only source, what parents can learn from the controversy over Teen Vogue's recent sex advice. I loved this article, which was, you know, just beautifully written for one, but also it brought to me two things that are on my mind as the, the mother of a daughter. One was Teen Vogue, and I've noticed recently how they are really publishing some kind of cutting edge, unexpected material, and you found something really interesting. And the second is educating our children about sexuality. And Teen Vogue brought those together, and it's kind of stirred up a little controversy. And you discussed that in your article. Can you talk a little bit about that controversy? Sure. So I spend a lot of time reading the work of other parent bloggers, right? Like to kind of stay abreast of what issues people are talking about. And one morning woke up to just a flurry of vitriol and anger about this article. And I thought, I have to read this and find out what all these people are so angry about. <laughs> but I found that the responses ranged kind of predictably what you would expect on the really sort of um, predictable conservative response of we don't want to talk about sex, period, to the, I think, kind of equally predictable, very um, liberal response about, you know, typically sex advice articles uh, wind into defining sexual pleasure in relation to men. So there was a lot of that expected response too, with all kinds of responses in between. And I should add, I love the article in Teen Vogue. And so I was so surprised to find that so many people were so upset about it. Uh, what I was most surprised by were how focused all of those parents were, no matter what end of the spectrum they were on, was something akin to, I don't want my child learning that from a magazine. So it wasn't even so much about the topic or the controversial nature of discussing anal sex with teenagers. It was that it was being discussed in a magazine that their kids would be reading. And that really struck a chord with me. It seemed absurd to me that in teaching anything, we'd want our kids to have just one source. And so that's what inspired me to write about it. Yeah, I have two thoughts. So one is these parents are apparently not paying attention because kids are reading Cosmo and this is not stuff that doesn't show up in exactly in other sources. And second point, that they wouldn't want them exposed to this material at all. So then 
I guess the assumption is that we will, that is, that is our job as parents, we will deliver that information. But as you point out in your article, rarely do we use one source to get our information, right? And you use the example of a pediatrician, I think. Right. So just in in thinking about choosing a pediatrician for your own child, you would not start by just showing up at whatever office is closest to your home. You would do a lot of research. You might be uh, reading your parenting guides that maybe you even read during, you know, or pre-pregnancy even about how to choose a pediatrician. So you might even have a list of interview questions prepared. You'd be talking to other friends who had parents about people. You might be reading ratings of various pediatricians online and and so on. So you would have just an enormous wealth of data for just that first data point, let alone if your child had a medical issue, which would lead you to ask a whole new set of questions about whether your pediatrician was sufficiently specialized in that issue or whether or not you needed to see lots of other doctors. And that's just the beginning of parenting. That's from day one. Once you have the baby, you are consulting all sorts of sources all the time for all of that. And it's it's not as though you would just ask your mom or your dad, hey, who should I pick as a pediatrician? That seems absurd to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, as a parent, we're just hyper-focused on, especially, you know, if it's a first child or, you know, with infants, we're just hyper-focused on safety and eating and nutrition, you know. Um, And so to think that this particular area would be any different, like sexuality is, is so completely different than educating them about gender stereotypes or body image or, you know, the uh, lots of sensitive issues that need to be a part of active parenting. Absolutely. And it's, it is, I'm glad you bring up things like body positivity. That's something that I'm reading all the time now about how to do that at a very early age. And it's fine to consult lots of sources for that or hope that your child interacts with lots of people who have thought about it. So it is surprising, I think, that we then somehow we've cordoned off sex as the one category about which we cannot go seek any other information yeah. or that we would not our children to seek any other information. Yeah, uh-huh. It's, it's so taboo that it can only be delivered, you know, in the sacrosanct relationship between parent and child to the mortification of the child, I might add. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and I have to say, I did not discover Dan Savage until uh, long after I was sexually active. But oh, do I dearly hope that if he is still giving advice uh, a decade <laughs> from now, that's what my child will be listening to or that, you know, you need someone who's not your parent to talk about some of those things with and so and to have a reliable source of information. And I, you know, I don't want to be that sole font, right? There's also just tons I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, so. and, uh, again, to revisit a point, if you think that you are the only source, you're kidding yourself. Right. Um, because this is, you know, I'm assuming that if you're 12 or 13 and you look through the Google search history, you're going to find that they're looking it up. I think so. Yeah, probably earlier at that, right? If not, if not Googling it, hearing it somewhere. Yes, exactly. And also, yeah, hearing it from peers when you have no control over content. So if there is something that's available and the content is, as this article was, it 
seems like it was just referring to other sources that were credible. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. And I think what's, you mentioned this about Teen Vogue earlier, that this is one of a series of, I think, very sharp, very insightful pieces. They've scooped the New York Times a number of times yeah. on political coverage uh, of late, which is just fascinating I know, to right? Me. Teen Vogue. <laughs> and so their their editor, I've misplaced her name, but um, one of their editors, at least, was speaking on Pod Save America a few months back. And was saying, this is what this audience wants. We have this, you know, um, I think maybe skewing slightly later teen audience, but we have this teen audience who is really engaged in the world around them. They have questions about sexuality. They have questions about politics. They have questions about whatever their life path is going to be. And they want carefully researched information about that. And that's wonderful. (laughs) That is so much better than the reading material I was reading at about that age. So I think that's terrific that both there is an audience for that content and that Teen Vogue is providing that. Uh Uh-huh. And I think that one of your sort of areas of specialty is identifying good research and good sources. And as you probably know better than I do, there is a lot of trash out there. (laughs) There is. (laughs) And trash research too, I might add. Oh, yes, absolutely. Right. I think it is an enormously complicated problem and not, you know, certainly not one that we're going to solve quickly. But I think in this kind of age of torrents of fake news, whether or not uh, what side of that term you put yourself on, there is uh, a lot of difficulty determining what's a good source or what's an accurate source. Yeah, that's a great point. (laughs) And by the way, listeners, this is a good source. Just just so you know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, but marketers have done a really good job at advertorials. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just one example. But you can be reading something and and it looks like, oh, this is a real news source, but it's actually an advertisement. Um, And so you think that you're getting journalism, but you're not. It's an advertisement. And that's just one small example. But we really have to be skeptical of almost any source. Yes, I think so. And I think maybe that because it's such a difficult message to teach young people is that initially be skeptical of everything. And so I might, I might approach it a little bit differently initially, knowing that there is going to be a lot of terrible information out there. But I think I might start talking to my own kid when he's of that age or teens now of developing a sense of authorship. (laughs) That is, I think, really critical and often missing when we read things online. Like thinking about what news you read this morning. Can you tell me the author of anything that you read this morning? No, absolutely not. Right? (laughs) So you might be able to tell me the publication, right? Or if you have um, a news aggregator, maybe maybe not even, right? Maybe you're sort of the the masthead of what publication you were reading. Uh And so authorship is to me one of the most important things to be teaching kids is being able to understand that ideas come from people. (laughs) And so uh, that, that doesn't mean the ideas are bad or that they're so biased that we can't read them. But it is important to kind of get a sense for who's writing it and who is this person and why is this person doing this writing? Uh And I think in the the advertorials you mentioned, they frequently are authorless or appear authorless. Uh There's no byline. And so one thing that I've been uh, working on a lot, even with my three-year-old, is teaching authors. When we read something, we focus on who the author is. And he gets kind of a sense of, you know, who his favorites are and what their writing styles are. And 
uh, will frequently tell me about the author's children because we always read the biographical blurbs. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so we have a disturbed knowledge, I think, of, <laughs> of some of his favorite authors, uh, favorite foods and other proclivities. But I think that notion of authorship can really help any parent looking to either research their own parenting questions or as they're teaching their kids as well to start to kind of identify the author's um, who they most resonate with or most understand. And then they can follow those people's writing yeah. uh, and, and start to sort of build a little more trust in a source that way. That way you're never just reading one article and saying, I'm going to go with whatever that was, uh-huh. but kind of building trust by um, starting to follow an author you know, through a number of pieces of writing. Yeah, that's a good point because you know, even if it's a source that you trust and maybe an op-ed that you, you know, op-eds, appear in lots of different sources in it. It may be an op-ed that is, uh, how do I say, the author is of dubious intent. Um, <laughs> trying, yes. to, trying to be careful <laughs> in the way that I word that. Yeah, so um, I'm going to circle back around to the Team Vogue article, and not just because I want to exploit the topic and be a shock jock, but, <laughs> you know, they published this for this topic for a reason. And The article from Teen Vogue was entitled Anal Sex, What You Need to Know. And there's a reason why teens are interested in learning this information. And there's a reason why parents need to be focused on this and know because there's a rise in the practice of anal sex. And sorry, listeners, I'm going to put an explicit on this trigger warning. But with the abstinence only movement, teens especially started to practice more anal sex because in their minds, they were protecting their virginity by engaging in anal sex, which is a much more dangerous practice than other forms of penetration, I'll say. So I applaud Teen Vogue for taking on Hot Button doesn't even begin to approach you know, how sensitive and taboo this is, but it's a reality and we want to do everything we can to protect our children. And this is something that, man, it doesn't get any more uncomfortable, but they need to know that this practice is happening and children need to know how they can do it safely if they do it. I don't know. Am I off on a tangent here? No, I don't think so. I think that certainly I think that's that's the argument of this article, right, of the original Teen Vogue piece. And I think that it offers a lovely introduction. It's something like I think Angle gives about seven paragraphs before actually jumping into the topic itself, kind of explaining here's maybe why you shouldn't just Google this and go with the first thing that you find. And here's maybe why you want to read about it. Here's maybe why you're uncomfortable and want to click out of this and not read it. And I think that very sensitive opening to the topic, kind of acknowledging the kinds of information that, right, these kids might be looking for is, I think, really thoughtful and really sensitive. And then it's just very descriptive, right? It is, I I think what's really nicely done about the article is it doesn't really address uh, anal sex or any other form of sex as a tabooed topic, but as a, like, just here's what you need to know. Uh Here's the thing you're curious about here is kind of a, you know, the basics of what you'd be doing if this is what uh, interests you. And I think that that's really helpful that there's not really pressure or judgment either way in this article. It aims to just be as neutral as possible. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, and 
in discussing any kind of information that is that is sensitive, either interpersonally sensitive or morally sensitive, or you know if it's theologically sensitive, I don't know. <laughs> but coming up with an appropriate way to approach the information and to sensitively discuss it without judgment and just present the information factually. I've taught human sexuality and, you know, I just teach through the giggles. And, you know, you do. You'll giggle. It's fine. I, I say that when I start teaching. It's fine. It's fine. But you need to know this. Yeah. And and especially, be and, and it's hardly, anal sex is hardly the first workaround that teens have developed to imagine that they're not actually sexually active, right? Exactly. That yes. this, I think, is a perennial issue of whatever the current in vogue practice is, <laughs> is what kids will do to feel that either they they haven't crossed a line or they're saving something. And in the in the case of you said, uh, you know, theologic, the, the theologically sensitive, maybe they're saving something for marriage. Or I think that a nice piece of just laying out all the information and to make it very clear that this is sex is really important to kind of demonstrate that words mean things. And so anal sex is sex, I think is really important. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So I guess sort of in summarizing and and the main takeaways wouldn't be, you know, the buzzwords that are going to make people uncomfortable and cringe. But the the important takeaway is that our kids need to feel that they have access to accurate information. And if that means that you help them find it, then you do know that they will be looking for it. And I would also say communicate to your children that it's a safe topic to talk about. And if it is too cringeworthy to discuss with you, then come up with somebody in your circle that you know they feel comfortable with and will give them good information. And, you know, I I had a student several years ago who was just an amazing woman, and she had several daughters. And I remember her saying, uh, sharing in class that she told her daughters that, you know, if you have any questions, and she was a nurse, um, so she said, if you have any questions, by all means, you can ask me anything. But if you don't want to, then you can ask Auntie this person or Auntie this person, people that she trusted and knew would give good information so that her daughters knew they had someone to talk with about this other than friends at school or Googling and just taking the, the top source. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I, and I think, too, there's a really interesting question and maybe a neat opportunity for um, your teenagers is you're not just answering the question, what is fill in the blank with whatever sexual practice they're interested in. Because the question they're asking isn't, what is this? The question they're asking is, do I want to do this? Like, is this the right thing for me? And of course, they're not going to ask you, the parent, that, or maybe even you, the auntie, that. But if you can help them do that research, whether that's reading Teen Vogue or whether that's talking to a trusted family member to help themselves answer that question, that seems to me a really valuable thing to give them to help them find the research tools they need to to answer really personally relevant questions for them, which is not just a how-to guide, but a, a means of thinking through their decision-making process and what they want to do. 
That is an absolutely excellent point because you're right. They're not going to come and say, you know, what is this or what does this do? Or you're right. It's going to be more emotional support. And when am I ready or am I ready or are we at that point or, you know, where whatever the discussion is, it's going to be more emotional than factual and that they can easily find, you know, like a, an anatomy chart or something, exactly. you know, <laughs> um, but it's the emotion that goes along with it that you definitely don't want them getting from peers. Um, you want a trusted person having that discussion. Absolutely. Yeah. This article was in Huffington Post. It's entitled, Be a Trusted Source, but Not the Only Source. And if you'd like to read more by Stephanie, visit her blog, which is Snack Dinner. She is a prolific writer, and all of it is outstanding work. So I encourage you to visit that. So thank you so much, Stephanie, for joining me to take on this Slightly uncomfortable, but very important topic. And I thank you for having the guts to publish this. Oh, well, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Women Transcend. If you enjoyed our podcast, an easy way and a really helpful way to support us is to tell one friend about our show and to show them how to find us on their phone. Grab it out of their hand and subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe yourself because our new episodes will automatically show up in your podcast player when we release them each week. A big thanks to Stephanie Loomis-Pappas for today's interview. And of course, as always, to John Philbeck for doing all of the fabulous sound artistry so that we sound so good. Follow us on Facebook at Women Transcend because we always enjoy hearing from you. That's all for this episode. <laughs>